the Trojan horse. So the city of Troy and the Greeks were at war. It was a long fought war. Went on for years. So what ended up happening was the, the Greeks pretended and, and sought to trick the city of Troy into you know, making it seem as though they surrendered. So they attempted to, to just look like they surrendered, trying to go back, started to go back to their country. And what ended up happening was the city of Troy came out, saw that they were all gone, that they had surrendered. They built a, a wooden horse. And so the, the, the Greeks went out of their wall. They had this, this wall that was protecting them. They, they came out of the wall, took that Trojan horse into the city. So then everybody there is celebrating. They're dancing, rejoicing. Um, they're at ease. Right? They're, they're, they're no longer in this war, so they thought. And so in that wooden horse, there was some soldiers, some Greek soldiers. They waited until everybody started slumbering, sleeping. It was night. And then what happened? You guys remember they came out, opened up that gate, and then the Greeks came back. And of course, you know the rest. The city of Troy was destroyed, annihilated. What happened? There was a, a sneaky, tricky tactic that through this tactic, the Greeks were able to penetrate into the city of Troy. And then there was devastating consequence. Well, this is similar to the book of Jude. right? We see the, verses 3 and 4. We see there that through sneaky trickery, the enemy is able to sneak into the church, penetrate in, and cause devastating results, consequences. Okay, so Jude, we see in verse 3, he's urging his hearers to contend for the faith. He wants them, he's urging them to have a mindset of war, war for the truth, warring for the truth. Now, okay, let, let's think about war for a moment. It's very common, we, we think about Afghanistan and the war and terrorism. It's very common, we hear it all the time, warring against terrorism, physical terrorists. This is, this is common. We hear it all the time. I heard it since I was a child and we still hear it all the time. So we hear this and yet many times Christians forget all about the spiritual war. Spiritual war that threatens not a nation but the church of Jesus Christ. So we need because of this, because we forget and seem to always, you know, it's common to look past it and not even think about it. We need, all of us sitting here today, we need a daily dose reminder that we are actively, as you sit here right now, as I stand here, we are actively in a spiritual war for the truth. You know, what, did, what did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10? What did he say? Didn't, didn't he say we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? So this is to say we're not wrestling like, like the physical terrorists that threaten our nation. We're not, he's not talking about the, that type of wrestling. We're, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? The rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's, that's the war that Paul wants us to know about. 
That's the war that we are engaged in, and we need to recognize, we need to see how serious and urgent this war is. It's a spiritual war. Think about it. If you were enlisted, I, I guarantee you, maybe some of you have been enlisted in the military, but if you were enlisted in the military and specifically called on to fight a physical war on terrorism, you would not take that lightly. You wouldn't. Yet, us Christians here today, we are enlisted in a war. We are enlisted in a war, and this war, we're a soldier for the kingdom of God, right? And this war is not of physical, temporal consequence. It's of eternal consequence. Eternity is at stake. And so we cannot afford to take it lightly. And that's every single one of us here today. Whether you're a a child or an adult, whether you're a preacher, a deacon, uh, a a pastor, whatever you are, even if you're a church leader or not, if you're a Christian, you are enrolled as a soldier in the kingdom of God. Therefore, we must take this seriously and urgently. This is exactly why Jude says in verse 3, if you look at verse 3, I found it necessary, necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Notice, he didn't say, I wrote this because I think it might be possibly a good idea for you guys to consider this. He He didn't have that approach, did he? He said, no, it is necessary. In light of the spiritual attacks that plague the church of Jesus Christ throughout all ages to now and will continue to the end of this age, Jude realized there's no other option. All right, so there's not tons of us here. I'm I'm assuming all of us or maybe most of us at least have walked into an airport before, right? Has anybody not been to an airport before? Not been to an airport. I think that's everybody. Okay, so in an airport, what do you commonly hear? You, you hear it repeated over and over through the intercom. Please report what? Anybody? Any unattended what? Luggage? Baggage? Immediately. Why is it that you hear this over and over and over again? Well, of course, there's probably several different reasons, but one huge reason is what? To avoid possible damage from terrorists or from some sort of um, attack, right? The reason why it's blasted repeatedly in the whole airport is because all eyes are needed. Every single eye is needed. Does it make sense? In a similar way, in a, in a very similar way, we've got to realize not the physical realm, but the spiritual All eyes are needed. Every single person, man, woman, child, who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who has spiritual eyes, we're not talking about physical eyes, spiritual eyes to see, to have discernment by the Spirit. Every single one of us need to be on the lookout. Every one of us needs to be on guard. We can't afford to be like that city of Troy and sleep and slumber. Because, why? When we least expect it, that's when the enemy loves to creep in. 
All right, well, so I have four main points for the message today, and I know we've got to go till about 11 o'clock, so I think we can get through this four me- uh, points. First point of the message, terrorists revealed in their approach, their MO, their, their method. Second, their character. Third, their conduct. And fourth, their doctrine. So first, terrorists revealed. We're talking about unmasking the terrorists. It's a loving thing to, to recognize terrorists and unmask them. And so my first point is re- the terrorists revealed in their approach. This is to say their, their tactic, right? Their, their method, their MO, the, the, the avenue they go on in order to deceive. Look at the beginning of verse 4. The beginning of verse 4, we see the three-letter word F-O-R-4. It's a conjunction. It's indicating that Jude is about to clarify and expound verse 3, which is why he's urging his hearers to contend for the faith. So what's the reason? It's what he's about to say. He says there are certain people have crept in unnoticed. Okay, so people were entering. I'm talking about the specific people that Jude was writing to. They were entering the church gathering without being detected as a threat. Okay, this is their approach, the approach of the false teachers, the approach of the terrorists, these specific ones that Jude was writing about. This is their tactic. This is the way that they try to penetrate. Now, does this sound familiar? It should. Genesis chapter 3, all the way from the beginning. It sounds just like the devil, the father of lies. Right? So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says there, the serpent, get this, was more crafty, that's cunning, than any other beast of the field. From the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 3, this was the case. But it doesn't stop there. Transcends. It's continual. Transcends time. It, he still, to this day, disguises himself as an angel of light. Isn't that what Paul told us as well? An angel of light. The soldiers in the kingdom of darkness, you better believe they take after their father, the devil. They don't operate in a different manner. They're deceived. They're, they, they like to deceive in a crafty and cunning way. Nothing changes. Nothing has changed in this approach in that they're trying to penetrate the church of the living God the same exact way. And, and, and think about this. The greatest damage that occurs to a church, the greatest damage that happens in the midst of a church is not the result of bombs coming in from the outside. Think about the city of Troy with their walls. That's not the greatest damage. The greatest damage is the result of internal conflict. We need to keep that in mind. That's very important. Okay, so I I just told, I think, Raymond, I'm a nurse. I went to uh, nursing school. And in nursing school, we had to take some biology courses. So maybe you guys are... Some, some of you, I don't know, maybe have taken more biology than, than me, but I know a little bit about biology. I took a micro, microbiology course, and I want to talk about the cells in our body. 
Okay, so the cells in our body, good cells in our body, they can be destroyed by the same exact sneaky method. Okay, so the cells in our body, they are surrounded by what is called your cell membrane. This is every good cell in our body. A cell membrane. What is it? It's a thick layer that protects the inner components of the cell. Okay? But we, when we think about protecting, I mean, just a side note, it goes with this point. We have something in the church that we are to protect and guard. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But these cells have the cell membrane. It, it is to protect the inner components. Now, the cell membrane, it also functions as a guard, protecting, right? So it keeps certain bad cells, harmful viruses, out while allowing good cells in. Okay, so the viruses can't go in, but wait, there's sneaky. Check this out. They try to go in through disguising themselves. They try to uh, attach themselves to the good cells and thereby sneaking in. Amazing, right? Even, even our good cells in our body can be destroyed with the same exact sneaky tactic. And just like these harmful cells, this is how false teachers seek to do. Didn't Jesus himself say what? They are wolves in sheep clothing. This is, again, nothing new. Well, what are some specific tactics? What are some specifics that the enemy, uh, things that the enemy does in being deceitful? What are some specific things that they do? Well, I'll just go over a couple. There's probably many different things, but think about this one. The enemy, the, the false teachers, they love to quote scripture. They, they will quote God. Again, go back to Genesis 3. What do you see there? Satan is quoting who? Himself? He's quoting God. What did, Je what did uh, the devil do with Jesus? He quoted God. He quoted the Bible, right? The, enemies, the enemy loves to quote God's word. But what do they do? They love to sprinkle in the poison and twist. God's word. This is what happens. They love to quote him, but they love to twist him. So, because the poison is coming in, we must at all times be on guard, be aware, be watchful. Didn't we hear about that? I don't know if anyone else, well, Clint might have been. Were you at the men's retreat? Watchful, alert, right? We heard about that in the men's retreat. We have to stay alert. Just because someone comes, even standing here, with a Bible in their hand, or you have a conversation with somebody, and they have a Bible in their hand, and not just in their hand, but they're actually quoting from the Bible, that does not necessarily mean that they are preaching the truth, right? You can have the Bible, you can quote it, yet you can enter in, insert in a little bit of poison and twist the meaning of the, the scripture. People 
false teachers, especially the context of who Jude is writing about, they, they love to come in the guise of pastor or Bible teacher. But again, this is, this is nothing new. This is an old tactic. Nothing is new about this approach. The tactic of the enemies is always seeking to come in sneaky. This is... <clears throat> This is the, 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 the specific false teachers that Judas writing about. How, <clears throat> how many of you guys have heard the name Harold Camping? Raise your hand. Harold Camping. Only Chris? Harold Camping. Okay, well, maybe if I explain who he is, maybe some of you might, it might ring a bell. Chris, did you know that Harold Camping taught the doctrines of grace? Harold Camping taught the doctrines of grace. All right. I grew up in a very Arminian Pentecostal church. I wasn't saved as a child, but so I never uh, attended or was a part of the church there as a saved Christian. But a, few, a couple years after I was saved, um, a lady that I recognized from this church um, I saw her randomly at San Antonio College, the college campus in San Antonio. And so I recognized her, and I immediately like, was excited. I wanted to talk to her because I didn't know where she was at on the gospel, and I wanted to see where she was at. So I started talking to her. And um, in the course of the dialogue, she wouldn't let me talk, kept interrupting me, but she was trying to convince me of the doctrines of grace. And I, when she started tar- trying to explain to me the doctrines of grace, I was like, great, you know, and trying to, you know, because I believe the doctrines of grace. The sovereignty of God and salvation is what we were talking about. And she would not let me talk. She just kept trying to shove it and trying to convince me and prove to me the doctrines of grace. And so what ended up happening was I was kind of baffled by it, um, didn't understand why she was acting the way that she was acting. But after all of that, she started telling me about Harold Camping and how she was following this man that she heard in the radio station. And that the return of Christ, based on Harold Camping's teaching, was going to happen May 21st, 2011. Does that sound familiar now? Maybe, maybe not. 2011, May 21st, 2011. So she quoted, she had the Bible, she quoted scripture left and right to prove the doctrines of grace, the sovereignty of God. A doctrine that I already believed. But when it came to, and I asked her very skeptically, of course, like, where are you getting this from in the Bible as far as this supposed return of Christ? Well, again, she took the Bible and she went left and right, went left and right again, and never even quoted one scripture, not even one, to try to prove. I, I, I thought maybe she would at least quote a scripture and, and twist it. She couldn't even quote one scripture. She couldn't quote a passage of scripture to try to prove something that I didn't believe. But what, what happened in this, in this whole ordeal? Well, this is what I, after reflecting on it, this is what I believe happened. And, and, it's a, and it's another pro, another way, another example, I should say, in how the enemy seeks to sneak in and deceive. So this man, Harold Camping, he taught a biblical doctrine, right? A, a doctrine that is clearly taught in Scripture. A doctrine that the majority of professing Christians 
reject. Well, this is what he did. He, he taught this uh, doctrine that can easily be proven in the Bible. And after convincing this lady of this doctrine, it appears that she had a trust and a reliance in him and was fed and believed the other things that he believed. The, the return of Christ in this prediction was only one of his false teachings. There was others. So false teachers, this is what they do. They use Christianese. You better believe it. They, this is the approach. They use Christianese, Christian lingo, to appear as though they are teaching the Christian faith. And they only do that in order to turn around and distort it at the end. Well, the next part of Jude, Jude, three, or Jude 4. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Think about this. The false teachers in this time, they were going unnoticed. They were going undetected by many people there. But praise God, they, they did not go undetected to the Lord. It says there that He designated. God is the one who designated. Not Jude, not anybody there. God designated them for condemnation. So despite the fact that false teachers go unnoticed, they do not, they do not, they will not go unnoticed to God. He is the one who designates them for this condemnation. They might go unnoticed temporarily here on earth by people around us, but they will not go unnoticed to Him. Scripture proclaims beforehand that these false teachers are headed for a destruction. They're headed for an end, and it's not good, to say the least. Jude verse 14. Look, at, look down at verse 14 if you're in Jude. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch, the seventh from him, from Adam. This is the beginning, close to the very beginning of time. What else do we see? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly, kind of sounds like what we're talking about, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Condemnation, destruction, their end is not good. But think about this. The seventh from Adam, Enoch, and then you got Peter, Jude, in this time frame, it, it hasn't changed. It's the truth even now. So the, the prophecies have been foretold, but the finality, the completion of the prophecies is still going on. What I mean is that they're still false teachers. It's still not completed yet, but it's still the reality. The prophecies have come from a void, and the false teachers have continued to come to this day. We see the tactic from a void, and we see the prophecies both being carried out to this day. We see false teachers coming in deceitfully, scheming to bring in destructive, damnable doctrines in the church. 
This was the case, again, from the beginning of time with, with the serpent in the garden. And this was the case in Jews' day, and it's the case today. And therefore, each and every one of us Christians, believers, who believe the Bible, who, who want to protect this message, must stay alert and watchful. Second point, terrorists revealed in their character. Terrorists revealed in their character. Look again at verse uh, 14 or 15. We just read it. It says there, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Ungodly. They are ungodly and they act in ways that is ungodly. (laughs) Four times in that one verse. Ungodly. John MacArthur says this about the description of the ungodly. This is to say, demonstrating a lack of reverence for God. The word translated ungodly, in reality means without worship. So, the ungodly people live their lives in ungodly ways, in ungodly manner, meaning that they are blinded by the worth and the value of God, the treasure of God, and therefore, because of this, they act in ways that show their ungodliness. False teachers have no honor. They have no respect for the Lord. They're like the atheists who reject God by rejecting the knowledge that they have about God. Okay, so what I mean by saying this is that they are not rejecting Him in ignorance. But we see in Romans chapter 1, atheists suppress, they push down the truth about God Why? How do they do it? In ungodliness, in their wickedness. That's why they're doing this. Atheists see the evidence of God through creation. It's very clear through creation. It cannot be denied, yet they seek to deny it. They seek to reject it. And it's all because of their ungodliness. Well, similar to the atheists, these terrorists, these specific false teachers... They cannot claim ignorance as an excuse. They know enough scripture. They know the scripture. They know what God has clearly stated in his word regarding sin, regarding holiness, self-control. They, they know what God has stated, but they suppress the truth and ungodliness. Why? And unrighteousness, excuse me. Why? Because they are ungodly. That's why. These false teachers... Think about this. They're not ungodly because as a result of teaching false doctrine and living this life. No, it's the other way around. They are ungodly and therefore because of that, they teach destructive doctrine and live this type of lifestyle. Third point. Terrorists revealed in their conduct. Okay, so conduct and character is very similar, but... I'll explain real quickly the the difference between the two. Okay. Character describes who they are, and the conduct describes what they do. Okay. So as someone has said, um, character is the root of the tree, and conduct is the fruit that it bears. Okay. So it says there, continuing, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Okay, that word sensuality is the Greek word aselgaia. 
a cell guy. Th- this means basically unrestrained, rampant wickedness and sin, vice. That's what this word um, means. So it's describing someone that is so lost to honor, so lost to decency. Like he, he, he became so debased that they are not ashamed of their sin, the sin that they probably once were ashamed of. They became so hardened to it. Now, these specific false teachers, looks like we've got about 20 minutes. These specific false teachers were thinking somewhere along those lines. They were debased. They were, they were hardened, right? Okay, so think about Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It says there, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, why, why am I quoting this scripture? Okay, so think about it. Specific false teachers, these ones in Jude's day, they were perverting the grace of God into sensuality, it says there in verse 4. Okay, so this verse in Romans 6, it could be that this is more or less what the false teachers were thinking. They were thinking, they were, they were taking the scripture, as said earlier, they quote the scripture, but not out of ignorance do they do what they do and teach what they teach. Not out of ignorance are they un- ungodly people. They teach that they want to uh, continue in sin, that grace may abound. Think about it. This, this is something that they could say. For instance, they'll say, oh, let me, let me just say real quick. Okay, so th- there, there, are, there are different types of false teachers, right? So the false teachers in Jude's day, he's talking about those who are twisting the grace of God into sensuality. But there are also other kinds of false teachers that act in an ungodly way. Uh, for instance, we have false teachers more like the Pharisees. This, the Pharisees are the opposite of what uh, Jude is writing about. So the Pharisees, they act in a legalistic manner. And they appear clean on the outside, right? Jesus says this in Matthew twenty-three twenty-seven: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within... You're full of dead men's, dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So these are people, the Pharisees, who basically seek to achieve righteousness, a good standing with God based on what they do. But that's not what's going on in the book of Jude with who Jude is writing to. These specific false teachers are abusing grace. So they're taking grace and they're abusing it, while at the same time, and that's important, at the same time, they are claiming to love grace, but really they're just perverting grace. They're taking the truth, and again, they're sprinkling poison and twisting the truth. Okay, so let me just demonstrate how this could sound like in light of Romans chapter 6, what I read earlier. Okay, it could sound like this. The blood of Jesus Christ is greater then all of our sin, not just most of our sin, all of our sin, every single sin, the blood of Christ has great power through His, the, the blood of Christ, through the blood of Christ, we have 
total, not partial, total victory over all of our sin. We have 100% forgiveness. Yes or no? Yes, amen. Yes, this is true. And praise God, this is true. But they take that. And in light of this, because this is true, it's okay. I'm just going to remain as a drunkard, homosexual, adulterer. I'm going to remain in my sin because, after all, God's grace is greater. This is the way that these false teachers were thinking. And they were thinking along these lines. Okay, so the apostates that Judah's addressing were believing lies similar to this. Let's just continue in grace that, uh, and sin that grace may abound. And again, They'll take what's true. Don't miss that. They'll take what's true. They'll quote what's true loud and clear for everyone to hear, but then they'll add their twist and perversion, okay? So, fourth and last point. The terrorists revealed in their doctrine, says there, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So they deny our only Master. Let's break that down first. Master... The whole section there, the whole part, they deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. That's their creed. (laughs) No pun intended for Mr. Creed over there. This is their doctrine. This is their statement of faith. God being the Master implies that He's the Sovereign One. He's the Ruler. He's the Controller. The Master of it all. This doesn't fit well with the enemy, the false teachers, these specific false teachers' agenda, or actually all false teachers, they don't like that. It doesn't fit. It doesn't jive. It doesn't click. They don't like it. They don't like what, for instance, Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and He does all that He pleases. They want to dethrone God, shove Him out of there, and they want to place themselves on that throne. Men in general, by nature, all of us, we want to dethrone God. We want to place Him out. And from the beginning of time, again, with Genesis, we find this to be the case. How was Eve tempted? Genesis 3, 5. When you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. All of humanity has followed suit ever since. We want to be like God. We want to be like that sovereign master. Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants, just jot it down and, and listen if you want, or if you're real quick, you can turn there. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This question, what have you done? I don't know if you guys sing that song here by Bob Jennings. <laughs> we sing it in San Antonio. That's not this kind of what have you done. This is an accusatory what have you done. Well, regardless, these apostates, they want to stay his hand. <laughs> they want to say, they want to look God in the face and say, what have you done? They believe that surely somehow God made some sort of mistake. 
he was in error because it shouldn't be God. It should be me on that throne. Or at least, at the very least, I should be able to share some of that throne with God. This is the false teacher's statement of faith, their creed, their belief. Continuing, and they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ, Lord. They deny God as master, sovereign one, and they deny him as Lord. They deny Jesus Christ. Okay, think about denying Jesus Christ. Denying, distorting the person and the work of Christ, it always takes center and focus of the most damnable, destructive heresies. The, 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 the greatest heresies always center on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if anybody comes in, I know that anybody can come in and we want to welcome all, but if anybody comes in to this assembly, any assembly of the church of the living God, and want to distort or take any, subtract anything from the person and the work of Christ, we have to be loving. Jesus Christ was a balanced man, full of grace and truth. We need to get rid of such a person immediately. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get rid of such a person who takes away from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're at war here. We can't take it lightly. This is not a light issue. Expose such a person. Unmask. That's what we're talking about here. Unmasking the terrorist. That's what we want to do. It's a loving thing to unmask terrorists. Remember, the heresies, they, they love what Jude's talking about here. They love to come in and penetrate from within. False teachers, and Jude's speaking about here, they want to lower the person of Christ. One example, I know that there might be, there, there are many, but one example of lowering the person of Christ. Some false teachers might make him out to be a mere creature. Right, so... They might say this. They might say, Jesus is the greatest of all creation. So, the, again, trying to take the greatest, try, try to make it seem so appeasable or, or, or good. He's the greatest of all creation. Now what you've done is completely demolish the greatest. This is, this is not something we want to do. They want to lower the person of Christ and make him a mere creature. What did Jesus say in John 8, 24? He said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is a fatal error. This is not a little light, trivial mistake. <laughs> you will die in your sin. Can, does that, I mean, you're going to die in your sin if you have a distorted view on who Jesus is. The Lord told Moses in Exodus 3, I am who I am. Distorting this, taking it away from Jesus Christ, you're going to pay for your own sin in hell. No light matter. Continuing the verse, we're wrapping up. It says, they deny our Lord Jesus Christ. Deny our Lord. Let's highlight Lord. Lord is a title of honor or distinction. False teachers, as you can see, they don't honor the Lord. They don't 
have any reverence for him. Think about 1 Peter chapter 3. It says there, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. So Abraham was Lord to Sarah, and she demonstrated this reality in obeying him as Lord. Apostates, they don't honor Christ, and they don't obey Christ. But they don't stop at disobeying Christ. They don't stop there. They want to push that on others to, to cause, in order to cause others to not obey Christ either. They don't stop with themselves. They preach their false doctrines in hopes that others will reject Christ. But praise be to God that whether you see it or not, Jesus is Lord. Whether you submit, whether you obey Him as Lord, Jesus is is Lord. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether you are deceived by these false teachers, whether you are a false teacher preaching this, your knee will bow. Your knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The knee of every false teacher, the knee of every uh, person that's deceived, the, the knee of everyone, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, every knee will bow. Very last part here, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So distinguishing Jesus Christ. Jesus, you, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will what? Save His people from their sins. Jesus distinguishes him, uh, this name Jesus is distinguished as the Savior. Okay? Christ, Christ distinguishes him as the Messiah prophesied about. These specific false teachers that Judah's warning us about, they deny the Lord as the sovereign one. They deny Jesus as Lord. They deny him as Savior. They deny him as Christ. They deny who God is point blank, period. Yet, remember something I mentioned, the sneaky tactic. They are not going to come in here or in any church of God and straight up proclaim that they deny Jesus in any way. They're not going to have like a banner and say, hey, I deny Jesus in this way or that. They're not going to do that. They're crafty. They're cunning. They creep in, they sneak in to penetrate the church. This is their approach. This is their method. And they do it to bring destructive, damnable doctrine. Like Paul tells us, let us not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Let's be a church who contends earnestly for the faith, which we'll look at that part in the next um, hour. Let's not be like the story I told uh, I, I explained earlier, the Trojan horse. Let's not be like the city of Troy who slumbers, who brings in that horse to their own destruction. Let's be like those that we're called to. Be alert, oriented, ready for war, for the truth, for the glory of God. Be discerning as we look at His Word, asking God to help us. So let's 
Let's pray and ask God to help us now. Father God, thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that any, any, any defect, which I'm sure there was plenty, you would clear it all up, Father. You would help us during this hour, the next hour, or this whole day, Lord, to just glorify you and, and meditate on your word. And, and you would make things clear to us and help us now. In the name of your Son, amen.